Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Well, I took a walk around the world to ease my troubled mind. I left my body lying somewhere in the sands of time. But I watched the world flow to the dark side of the moon. But I feel there's nothing I can do. What's going on, everybody? This is Pat the Talking Bearskin Rogue with a Flame On Flashback. Last summer, we recorded the 75th anniversary of Superman Super-Sized Microsode for you all. At the end of that episode, we gave you a small snippet of our interview with Glenn Weldon, author of Superman, the Unauthorized Biography. So we decided to take you back to that point in time and give you the full interview. So here you go, Oral and Brian sitting down, chatting with NPR's very own Glenn Weldon. We are here with Glenn Weldon, the NPR media critic, the author of Superman, the unauthorized biography. Of course, this is the book that has gotten me so excited about Superman. Again, reading this and seeing the kind of, not untold, but certainly not well-known beginnings of Superman as a character and the progression of uh, his life and in times over the last 75 years. So welcome. Oh, thanks, man. It's great to, it's great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course, I'm here with my lovely co-host, Oral. Hi, everybody. Oral and I being the NPR nerds of Flame On, of this, course. This is a dream come true. I'm so excited, and I'm going to conduct myself with dignity and pride this episode, I swear. I appreciate that. Well, brace yourself for disappointment. <laughs> oh. um, so, Glenn, thank you so much. Let's start out, just because, again, the, we're celebrating the 75th anniversary this year of Superman. This is all part of our exciting extravaganza microsode, uh, really macrosode, about the 75th anniversary of Superman. What is your, I don't want to say elevator pitch, I don't want to say, you know, quick summary, but, like, Superman to you, from your extensive research and the, from your book, wh- how would you sum up to some strange person who doesn't know about Superman, how would you describe them? Well, I mean, what I wanted to do with the book was kind of figure out uh, a, a way to talk about him that hadn't been done before, because there's a hell of a lot of books out there about this character. And, uh, you know, there's books that examine uh, him from, like, the, the Jewish culture cultural perspective. There's books that uh, take any kind of different tax on him. And what I started to try to do is to try to create a history, which, and I wanted to demonstrate, you know, how his, how pervasive he is in the culture and document every song that mentioned him and every uh, sitcom that made a reference to him, and that became deadly very quickly, <laughs> because that's a Wikipedia entry. That's not what I want to do. That's, that's you know, ultimately, I'm not a historian. I'm a, I'm a critic. I'm a book critic at heart. And so what that means is I know story. I can I can tell you whether or not a story is working, and I can try to figure out why it may or may not be. And so that was the thing I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of find the through line for this character. It's been 75 years. He is a corporate-owned hunk of property, intellectual property, but he does have a story. Some things about him have stayed exactly the same, and some things have changed. So what I wanted to do was try to figure out what's changed and what does that mean? What does that say about the culture? What does that say about him? 
And what is the stuff that, and why has the stuff that stayed the same, why has it? Uh, so that's, that's really it. And, and what I came away with is, is just realizing that the only thing that stays exactly the same over the course of 75 years is his motivation, what he does and why he does it. He puts the needs of others over himself and he never gives up. If you take either one of those two things out of the mix, it's not a Superman story because that's who he is. Everything else, the spit curl, the costume, the boots, uh, the, the, the pants. Boots. Yes, that's right. Everything else comes and goes. It cycles through. But that stays the same because it has to. I have a question. So um, in all of your research for your book, what was the, the, the one factoid that surprised you the most? Because, you know, as, as someone who's loved comic books all of their lives, we tend to accrue a lot of data. Um, and so sometimes we're not really surprised by, oh, yeah, I knew that like umpteen years ago. But what really surprised you? Oh, that's a good question. You know, there's the, the character of Superman and there's the idea of Superman. And the character of Superman is something that nerds like you and I, we kind of internalize. That's the one with all those little factoids surrounding it. The idea of Superman is bigger, purer. It's, it's the, it's the thing that, that, uh, people who are non-nerds get about Superman. But in terms of all the stuff that's happened, uh, to him over the, over the years and how many times he's been rebooted and revamped and everything like that. I mean, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, it's been truth, justice in the American way for as long as I can remember, but actually that came in in World War II, the, the whole notion of the American way. And then the minute World War II was over, that went away and it became, uh, he became a uh, defender of equal rights and, and racial tolerance. And, and the American way kind of went out of, kind of got out of the mix for a while. Came back in the 50s when it was the Cold War and the television show, and that's why it seems like it's so closely associated with him. But it just, uh, you know, comes and goes. That's the thing that kind of struck me. And I was fascinated with that. Uh, I think I read that in one of your articles, because a friend of mine at work, who I, I, I know is a little more conservative, was appalled about, what was it, two years ago, when uh, David Goyer, I think, wrote a story for one of the annuals where Superman renounced his American citizenship oh, yeah. and was like, no, I'm a citizen of the world. And not that the, the citizen of the world part is that that's fairly new or, you know, more of a, I guess, a modern take, but that he wasn't just pro-American was not originally a core part of his character and has, like you said, waxed and waned over the years. Yeah, well, if we can if we can use some language here, I mean, the very beginning of the character, for the first two years of his existence, he was kind of a dick. <laughs> I mean, powerful uh, kind of a dick. I mean, basically, he he beat people up, and the kind of people he went after were, we would call them today, the 1%. He, would, he went after corporate fat cats and crooked politicians and crooked manufacturers and things like that. He was a bully to the bullies. And only when World War II kicked in did all the patriotic imagery start coming into the mix. And it is a, a and, and by the time World War II was ended, he had gone from being a children's comic book character to an American icon. Because just, you can't see all this imagery that they put on the covers of Superman comics with him, you know, with a flag behind him and cradling the, the eagle on his, uh, <laughs> on his arm and all that. It just is so powerful, that imagery. You know, his cape and the flag become one. In, in our minds, and that's exactly what happened. But, uh, you know, in the 60s, they kind of said, uh, Superman, you're a citizen of the world. The UN gave him, uh, citizenship in every country on the planet. This, this notion of the American way kind of, again, it, it depends on, it's one of the things that shifts depending on our needs. You know, after, after certainly 9-11, you started seeing it again in a big, huge way. Uh, but, uh, it's so much about this character. Uh, he's fluid, even though that's not how people perceive him. People perceive him as a big doofus, a big blue boy scout. He's too powerful. He's too strong. He's not relatable, blah, 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 all that stuff. But if you go back and look at him over the course of 75 years, you see a lot of change. Now, the uh, the truth, justice, in the American way, that, I, from what I remember reading in your book, that came out of the radio uh, series yep. they did? Okay. And that blew my mind, too, because, again, so much we think originated out of the comics but like you say, I think several times in different ways, a lot of what shaped Superman over the years has not been the comics, but rather the other media that he was in, and that then came back and influenced the comics. Yeah, in a big way, because so many things about the radio show really uh, dramatize stuff that you couldn't get in the comics. There's this whole thing with uh, uh, Bud Collier kind of saying, uh, doing the voice, going, kind of go from going from, this looks like a job for Superman. That transition <laughs> there. Nice. Go, going from, like, puberty to adulthood in a second. That, I'm convinced, is what kind of uh, really got a lot of kids 
really into this character. You can see it happening on the page with him stripping out of his costume, but that moment of transition, that magical moment of transition, is something that only the radio captured. The radio also added, like, the sound of wind noise uh, to, to kind of signify that he was flying, or jumping in this case, because back in the day, as you know, he could just jump around like a flea. <laughs> and the fact that the wind noise was so pervasive kind of let people think, you know, I bet, I bet this guy actually flies. I bet that's not just jumping around. I bet that's actually flying. And uh, the Fleischer animated shorts, which are some of the best Superman stories uh, to date, really capture something really powerful about him. And they also kind of do the same thing. They had him jumping around. The first two or three of, of the Fleischer animated shorts from the 40s have him jumping around like a flea. But then they kind of went back to DC and they said, you know, this looks kind of dumb. How about if he flies? On the radio show, they totally went for it. And in the uh, animated shorts, they went for it. But it took the comics a long time to catch up. Now, given that trend of influence going back to the comics and sort of these certain generational things coming along and changing the perception of Superman, I kind of feel like having just seen The Man of Steel, we're at another juncture where that combined with like the New 52 is really going to shape Superman for the kids growing up today. And I gotta say, I'm a little worried with the way that's headed, just from what I've read and then what we saw in the movie. You know, I was just, I was thinking about that because like Superman in, in my eyes and for most of the world is like the genesis of, of the superhero. Like he's always been the gold standard. My question, Glenn, sometimes I, I ramble, but I'm getting there. I swear I'm getting there. How do you see this new direction that Superman's taking? like influencing not only like the rest of the new 52, but like superhero stories in general. Okay. Well, I'm not crazy about uh, some of the stuff that's going on in the new 52. I did like Morrison's run on action comics. I liked this idea of taking him back to basics and saying he's still the defender of the little guy. He's just starting out. I thought that was an interesting take. Didn't understand what the hell they were doing in the (laughs) Superman comic. Didn't quite understand what was going on there. Uh, It it seemed kind of like a mess. But uh, what's interesting is, this goes back to what I was saying before, there's the character of Superman and the idea of Superman. And the comic's ability to influence that kind of grand, overarching idea that everybody on the planet has of who Superman is, they've kind of seeded that ground to the movies. Movies are the ones that really shape that nowadays, because so few people, like you, you and me, are still <laughs> reading the comics. So they don't have the same power they used to. It's the, it's the movies that really shape things. And for the first time, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil the end of, of, of Man of Steel, but he makes a decision, uh, that, that the idea of Superman, uh, you know, that your Aunt Faye is familiar with, uh, never made before. He stood for not killing. He stood for that. And now, that's changed. So, and, and also just let's, let's talk a little bit about the tone of the film, which is trying, you know, it's grim, it's, uh, gritty, they're gritting him up so they can kind of fit him into the Batman universe a little bit so they can make sequels and, and, and have these two characters coexist. Uh, you know, that's, that's changing the, as I say, the, the, the cultural consciousness of who this character is. In the comics, people, you know, writers pick up this character, play with him a little bit, and then put him back in the toy box. And I have been disappointed by things that writers and artists have done on Superman, and I will continue to be because that's just the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. But this character doesn't go away, right? This character, uh, he is a heavily licensed nugget of intellectual property, which means everybody gets a shot at him, but he doesn't change. He kind of keeps, he can't change without getting signed off from like the, the you know, the, the marketing department and 17 other departments all throughout Warner's and DC. So there's a sameness to that, which is on one hand, it's, you know, it's comforting. But on the other hand, it means that, uh, you know, a large part of what makes a story a story is an ending. And without an ending, you just have a soap opera, just constantly, constantly iterating, constantly repeating and repeating and repeating. And as long as kids kind of come in and go out, as long as the audience kind of flows through, that's fine. But what what's happened now is that people like me keep reading years and years, decade after decade. So we start to see this sameness. And that's why you're starting to get, uh, well, you're not starting to get, it's, it's been happening for a long time, all these reboots and revamps and, oh no, do, do over. We're hitting, we're hitting the, the reset button, uh, because there's just so little left for them to do. But again, that's part of the deal. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with that when it comes to the character, because again, he'll get, he'll be put back in the toy box. Somebody else will come along and do something with him. 
The idea, however, what, what we're talking about before with the, the cultural consciousness, this movie is going to change how kids especially see this character. And I don't think it's going to change it for the best, but uh, let's wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I, I we're on the same page, and it's... It's so fascinating to me, especially reading your book, seeing how not only do, you know, movies and the other media shape Superman in the books, and then thus, you know, kind of the cultural, but how much is Superman mirrors the culture of the time he's in. And, and like, you know, it's like a lens to see that culture through. I, I took like a lit class in, in college, like one lit class. It was like lit theory, you know, 101. And I remember like new historicism or something. And it was like, you know, looking at, books in the proper context of their historical time when they were written, all that stuff. And to me, it's just fascinating to think about Superman through that lens. And then what does that say now to us, you know, in 2013, when we have a Superman who uh, kills and who is darker, much darker than uh, I think almost even since the origin when he was just a dick, you know, he, he was a, a happy sort of, you know, positive, great, you know, like defender of the little people dick, but still a dick. But now he's this grim and sort of broody guy that's, it's like too much, you know, it's all this Batman uh, more than uh, Superman. But I mean, what does that say about our culture now? I mean, are we really that in like a, like a nihilistic period that this is our Superman? You know, when we look back, you know, another 10 years from now, we'll look back and go, oh, wow, he was. Well, he was dark and broody and being under the age of 30, I will say oh. we are very disenfranchised. Um, and I work at a comic book store. Mm-hmm. Like I'm an English major who got the sweetest, like nerdy job ever. And I see yeah. that like tug of war. Yeah. You know, me saying, Hey, give this a shot. And the, you know, the classic readers, you know, people who've been reading superhero comic books for decades are just like blasphemous. They, they scream blasphemy. And then the younger readers are like, I like this new edgier take. I don't think that necessarily detracts from the character. The character goes on. The character will go on, uh, you know, because it's in DC and Mourner's best interest that it does go on. <laughs> right. Because, you know, you can't talk about this character without talking about the merchandising and the licensing. That's a, that's a major reason why this character persists. Uh, the stories are great and the character is great, but we have to kind of address you know, the, 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 the filthy lucre aspect. Uh, and that's, that's, that's going to be part of the deal. I mean, I think what we saw in Man of Steel is a reflection of what's been happening in the comics for the last 30 years or so. The, the, the kind of move toward a, a, a reaching for quote unquote realism, relatability, which, which in effect means darker and edgier. Yeah. You know, this character isn't Wolverine. But Wolverine's very popular, so he's moved in that direction. That's been happening in the comics for a long time. Yeah, since, like, Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, you know, you've seen comics get more, quote-unquote, real and darker and edgier. And so it's funny now that we're at sort of the apex of the movies catching up, you know? That's exactly what's happening. But, I mean, you know, and, you know, Oral, we're going to we're gonna disagree here because uh, I think these characters come from the same place that fairy tales come from. They come from the same place as myths come from. Mm-hmm. They're... There, there's an element of wish fulfillment and whimsy and an appeal. At the end of the day, they, these, these, this character in particular, Superman, was written for very young kids. Now, Marvel characters are written for adolescents, so that's why they they have they're dosed with you know this sort of adolescent hormones. Uh, all this, you know, nobody loves me, and uh, you know, Aunt May is dying again, and what about my girlfriend? All that stuff is a part of those characters, and that's why people find them so relatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when you try to take a character like Superman, who was created to have very, you know, not a lot of nuance, not a lot of, um, he, he's an icon. He's, he's better than us. He exists to inspire us. Not, he's not the hero, as I say in the book, he's not the hero we relate to. He's the hero we believe in. Our relation to him, our relationship to him is different. So when we try to kind of have him tackle things like racism and poverty and sexism and drugs, it, he, he, it, it it's a rough fit because he doesn't have the kind of psychological hang-ups that Batman, Spider-Man, others do because he, he exists on a metaphoric level, right? And he's an icon. He's bigger than that. Uh, so, you know, his weaknesses are metaphors themselves. Kryptonite is a metaphor for any number of things you, you could say it is. You could say it's survivor guilt. You could say it's, uh, uh, nostalgia. You know, this idea that, that you, you so, that this relic of the past you know, if you obsess over the past so much, it can kill the present. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, you, you talk about Lit 101. We could actually unpack where <laughs> that are ingrained into this character. But I think I, I love the Silver Age Superman. I know people think it's silly. I know people think it's dumb. But, man, there was just such flights of pure, unmediated imagination. Just big, 
ideas and bold colors. And, you know, I do, I do miss that. And that, mar- that marks me as a middle-aged dude. And, uh, you know, I still think you can have a little bit of both. I think, you're, you know, the Superman animated series was some of the best yes. Superman storytelling uh, out there. And the, the actually the, the comic based on the Superman animated series was actually really, really good. Yeah. I think we can have it, I can think we can have it both ways. And that's the thing that's happening now with all of this, uh, transmedia, blah, blah, blah. You know, we have, we have movies, we have Smallville, we have, we have cartoons, we have the books, uh, we have, you know, Elseworld, we have all the stuff. There's something out there for everyone. It's not, it doesn't mean that there's just one version of this character, but I do think we are changing how, you know, your mom and dad see this character, how people who aren't nerds like you and I envision this character. And, you know, for better or for worse, we'll see. I love the Silver Age, too, and I was really, it was really nice when I got to that section of your book just to be reminded of some of the, the more out there zany elements of it, and especially what, what never dawned on me. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a huge writer, but I am definitely a fan of cinema and, and, and television and all these things. And, and seeing that these were all like the basic formula of a farce never even occurred to me and it explained like so much. And, and yet, like you said, it's so many interesting, crazy, bizarre, awesome sci-fi and fantastic things came out of that, that era. And, you know, seeing that element sort of missing now a little, you know, with a more realistic take, but yet Morrison's All-Star Superman, you know, kind of that love letter he did to the Silver Age was, you know, amazing. And, and I, as actually one of the works that I think as much as I think you said you wouldn't have, that wouldn't be someone's first Superman story. You know, right. you wouldn't recommend that. I'm of the opinion that to me, anyone who has sort of just a, a casual, you know, exposure to Superman would at least appreciate that as this is a story that it actually can end and it shows this sort of transformation from man into myth, you know, that Morrison, of course, is so, it's a prominent theme in his work, right? You know, what is superheroes? There, there are modern mythology, you know, showing how they transcend, how the story, you know, how we're all stories and how his story is, you know, somehow archetypal. Even the movie, I think you wrote an article about the movie and, you know, you're saying this, that, but it did have a return to that science fiction heritage that is throughout, you know, the last 75 years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is something that, uh, the movie's haven't really, or the television shows, or any kind of dramatic uh, example of a Superman property that they haven't really spent much time on. They always focus on the humane, on Metropolis, on you know crooked land deals of Luther or whatever. They always <laughs> focus it in really close because to do the kind of crazy, batshit crazy, banana pants stuff they were doing in the Silver Age, you'd need an unlimited budget, like the kind you have when you're drawing a Silver Age uh, splash panel. Or something. Lois and Clark seemed to do okay. I'm sorry, that was low. That was a low blow. <laughs> that's true, that's true. But man, yeah, Clark, uh, let's talk about uh, Cavill. You guys probably already talked about this on the other podcast, but man, he filled the suit. He, yeah. uh, he looked great. Well, and what was so pleasing to me, I'm the, the bear of the show. Oh, are um, we going to the beard again? Yes, of course. <laughs> well, there's two things. The beard, of course. Can't ignore the beard. The beard inherently makes anything sexier. Well, not anything, but most men sexier. And certainly with that scene or those scenes of him in the out, you know, the rugged uh, Northwest or what, Seattle, wherever he was, like amazing. And then I didn't even notice this the first time I saw it, but my partner, Pat, pointed out that his costume had like neck or, uh, you know, chest hair poking up. Towards the top, and I was like, I don't think they've ever done that before in in uh, in at least in the movies. And you know, I'm sure some artist somewhere out there did draw this, but not the norm. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember if uh, I can't remember if John Byrne drew him with chest hair, but certainly seeing that hair poking up out of the out of the uh, out of the out of the neck, and also out of the end of the sleeves, out of, out of the arms too. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that uh, you know. Uh, out here in Dupont Circle, in the see, <laughs> and there was just this rumble that went through the theater, <laughs> especially the scene where he kind of steps out. Um, you know, one of the first times where we see him in the costume, he's just walking to the camera, and he just looks drawn. He he looks crazy, like like that, like that's not a thing that could exist in three dimensions, and yet it does. <laughs> I also thought it was a really good performance too. I really thought he brought something like a, a knowing quality to it, like he was kind of wry, kind of. A little bit of a self, uh, not self-deprecating, but a certain um, self-awareness, because that is that is the thing. Man. You you need to 
to be present in that suit because you, you, as a person, I'm sure you just feel like a tool. I'm just sure you feel like a tool. But the acting is convincing us that, no, this is just exactly what I should be wearing. Nope, this is fine. This is a suit. This is, this is Brooks Brothers. I'm just walking around. I'm fine. Don't mind me. That is, and it really, he really conveyed that. I didn't think, uh, the guy playing Zod did. I thought the guy playing, uh, Michael Shannon really kind of felt a little ridiculous. A little unhinged. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I must say, like, the acting in the movie, and we talk about this a little bit in this episode, but, yeah, it, overall, pretty good. I even love seeing, like, you know, I didn't expect it, and certainly this wasn't his best role, but Chiodel, I can't ever say his last name. I'm sorry. Chiodo Wolf. He was the general. He uh, was also in Kinky Boots, the movie, as oh, the drag queen. yes, yes. My, one of my favorite roles of his. And so. Notice how I remember Kinky Boots. Of course, of course. Not of course. Superman. Hey, we're gay. It works. But Russell Crowe, who, uh, I mean, having been turned on to him, I think first in that boxing movie he was in. Dash yeah. over it. We, we yeah. Know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Um but but then currently Gladiator. Seeing him, you know, as Jorel, who I know some people had issues with the fact that he's action scientist Jorel and you know, I'm like I don't care, I could have watched that all day. Like <laughs> um yeah. I think they, I think the film had a lot of really good things going for it. I thought, uh, you know, the imagery, you know, you talked about the power this character has. I mean, like seeing that scene with the, the kid with the, the towel, uh, you know, clipped to his back oh. and doing the thing with the, with the hands, you know, putting the hands on the hips. I mean, that's the image, man. That's it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that nailed it. And, and there were so many moments like that. I just did think it kind of devolved into a big, uh, slugfest that, you know, was evoking 9-11 imagery in a way that really felt sort of sour and gross to me. Yeah. Uh, and again, I just feel like, uh, you know, we could use a couple smiles more. We could use a joke maybe now oh and then. Oh gosh. There's no fun in the movie. That's what I, that's kind of where I was coming down. I have a question. So, um, speaking of imagery, there's, you know, religious overtones and undertones all throughout this movie. It's just the nature of the beast when it comes to Superman. The moment when the pod is crashing towards Earth and, you know, he, he Superman is, is looking and talking and then he gives the, you know, I'm in Brazil. Christ the Redeemer pose. (laughs) Did you think that was a little too ham-fisted? Because I sat there thinking, does nobody see this? Everyone has to see this, right? Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, uh, Brian Singer hit hit this same note kind of a lot in uh, Superman Returns. You know, the whole scourging of Superman at the end of the film and him being stabbed in the side and oh, wow, lots yeah. and lots of lots of Christ, lots of crucifixion mm-hmm. poses. And then he, of course, he uh, he gets away from the hospital bed. They should they come to <laughs> treat him and he has got he's gone away. Uh, but and the this, shroud of turn is left. <laughs> absolutely right. This one really doubled down on, on that stuff. Yes. Man. I mean, there was, there was not one, but two whole, like possibly three little different uh, Christ poses. And then if you remember that scene in the church. Oh, where oh yeah. It's talking. And there's a little, uh, like a, it's like a puppet Christ behind the head, you know, in the stained glass. It just felt like it, like a little ventriloquism show where they would just turn to each other and go, tonight, tonight. <laughs> and did you catch that he was 33? Of course. Of I course. mean, you know, this is one of my things, and I, we talk about this a little bit. Superman to me is up there with Jesus and the doctor of Doctor Who, of course, as the three people in my life who are the most formative for my, how I want to, how I want to be as a person, right? Right. And 
to see the Christ imagery contrasted with Superman was amazing. And I'm like, yes, yes, that's awesome. I like this, you know, great. And then as it devolved into what it became at the end, that's like, it was just, they're nailing me to a cross now because it's just <laughs> destroying this, yeah. this, this thing for me. But, um, now I want to get back to, uh, you know, of course, being that we are a purveyor of some of the, the themes of, you know, being a gay man or a gay woman. You know, growing up and identifying with sort of geeky culture. I know that for me, Superman always was interesting in a way that, like, you know, male imagery, great, loved it. Um, depending on who drew it, of course. And of course, I was reading, starting at like the, the death of Superman and all that. So I was at the worst possible depiction with the <laughs> god awful, yeah. uh, the mullet, the mullet, uh, but. Another interesting aspect of, of of Superman's story, certainly, and a lot of superheroes, is the secret identity. And I grew up very religious. I went to a Christian school. Had to be somewhat of a sort of secret to from you know who I was to the rest of the world. Yep. And I really related to that. And Superman, of course, being one of those formative figures for me, that aspect of his existence really rung a note with me. And then I was actually another part of your book I was just reading was or was actually a couple of days ago, but the um part where you're describing the very first uh super man appearance. I think it was the World's Fair. Right. And how um he had to be judiciously padded to uh fulfill the role. It really struck me that in a lot of ways drag queens are kind of a sort of a superhero like kind of creation in that they have sort of secret identities uh-huh. and they have this uh sort of, you know, fulfilling their characters with costuming and and potentially padding and other interesting things. You know, I am usually right there with you for segues that sound non sequitur, uh, but wow, that was a re- I mean, I see it. No, I, see I, it. I just, I, what I'm trying to say is, and, and I've actually talked to at least one drag queen about this, and she was completely on the same page with me. The superheroes yeah. are formative, and that was literally something that they as a child went through, as in, in this case, a gay man, and seeing these depictions in comics and in pop culture it really affected them so you know i didn't know if there was any other things maybe you know with you growing up and and kind of getting into comics that you can think of that were i don't know formative influencing uh i I certainly see your point i mean basically what do drag queens do they they put on a a costume to become something bigger than life uh iconic huge something that's about in many cases, that's about the body. That's about exaggerating uh, the body in a way that uh, superheroes' musculature is exaggerated. Mm-hmm. But I mean, these these characters are really in a, in a really basic way. They're about the body. You know, I mentioned this uh, Michael Shaben uh, article in the New Yorker a couple years back, where he talks about the superhero costume as drawn is not really a costume. It's basically just colored skin. Because there's no fabric in the world that will be that tight that will allow the musculature <laughs> to show through in exactly that way. Which is why when you see dudes in spandex, you're like, that's... <laughs> disappointing. Always disappointing. <laughs> it's not what we're led to expect. You know, it's like, even if they are have incredible bodies, uh, it's, there's still something about the fabric that doesn't, that gathers in different ways. Right. It's just because, you know, it, it's obeying the physical laws of the universe, which superhero costumes don't have to do. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I certainly see, I certainly see some element of that. I mean, that, you know, as a kid, I had no real clue what was going on. I kind of over-intellectualized everything. And as, as far as I was concerned, I wasn't gay because, you know, I saw gay people on television. And I wasn't like that. So <laughs> I could possibly be gay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, but in the meantime, they were like chaste nudie magazines, you know? They were just like dudes wailing on each other in uh, skin-tight outfits, which were, as we said before, effectively skin. Um, but, of course, there was no, there was no sex. It was just... Um, sexuality in a weird way. Uh, so I, I think, I think we respond to that. I think, I think I responded to that. I think I responded to the black and whiteness of it. I mean, not, it's, you know, full colors, but like there's, there's good and there's evil. And yet, even in your, even as you're fighting for the good and you're doing something right, you are hiding something from people, from the people that you love. I think this is a big part of it. I think this is, we, we identify with that aspect of these characters because we recognize something, uh, in ourselves. There's a little bit of, like, there's a little bit of over-intellectualization of it, but especially the secret identity aspect, I think, uh, it, it plays a big role. And, and thankfully, much less so these days. Sure. 
And and I may actually be interested to to talk to someone, and we should find some younger listeners who could tell us what they relate to, since that part may not be as as much of an influence. What other characters uh, were you? Because I I know we talked about Superman being like kind of this lens into culture. I was thinking about it. You know, like uh, some people on our show are huge fans of uh, Jean Grey, the Phoenix. Um, sure. Of course, you know other you know so that's that's mainly, honorable uh, mention for Wanda Maximoff the Scarlet Witch. Well, case. right, of course we have like Scarlet Witch, uh, Wonder Woman, of course. Some of these uh-huh. very strong female figures. Are are there any other comic uh, characters that you think fill a similar role to what Superman does in that they kind of reflect society and they also sort of are archetypal, have this sort of you know staying power. Um, I mean, of course, you know Batman probably to some extent. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I was going to go to because of course nobody is going to, because Superman created the archetype, created an entire genre, created an entire way of, of seeing the world, basically. And so nobody else who comes clo- is going to be able to come close to that, except for maybe Batman, who is his shadow self, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this is what uh, Morrison is always on about. You know, it's, you have your sun god versus your moon god, right. your god of the night. And, and you know, this, the next book I'm writing is, is about geek culture and the rise of geek culture and Batman's role in it. Because it's not going to be the kind, same kind of deep dive that this book was. But it's going to be, you know, that these books that came out in the 80s, like Dark Knight, Arkham Asylum, and uh, Year One, and uh, certainly Killing Joke, really legitimized, in a, in a strange way, the notion of comics, and the notion of superhero comics in particular, and had people outside of, like, the nerd world reading them for the first time and kind of helped usher what we call nerd culture in along the way. So I would say, I would say certainly uh, Batman plays a bit of that role. I'm just still kind of figuring out what it is about him that, that has endured and, and, and might, might be the reason why he was the, the agent, the catalyst, I would argue, to, to kind of help nerd culture find its uh, feet. Uh, you know, I, I was struck when I was writing this book, everybody came up to me and said, you know, I don't relate to Superman. He's too much of a goody goody. But Batman, now Batman I relate to because he's just like me. And I was like, dude, he's nothing like you. He's yeah. rich. He, ha- he has a superpower. His superpower is that he's Donald Trump. So if relate to Donald Trump, then you can relate to Batman. I mean, but, but that's the thing. It, there's a, there's an aspect of him that really keys into, uh, the American dream, I guess, this notion of, of, you know, I can, I can build myself up from nothing, even though, of course, Bruce Wayne always had something. <laughs> but if I'm honest, the character I've always identified with, because he is an underdog, I mean, it, it's kind of ironic. I wrote a b- book about Superman who is many things, but you would not consider him an underdog. I love Aquaman. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I know everybody is always on about Aquaman. He's lame. He talks to fish. Yes, that's the point. The point is, first of all, I, I have a degree in marine biology. I was on a swim team for many, many years. Uh, you know, I, I, I just loved uh, the ocean. So that's kind of what drew me to him originally. But I also loved just the fact that he was um, kind of a joke. I, I kind of drew me to him. And, you know, I, while I'm reading what Jeff Johns is doing, turning him into a badass, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's not what I, what I go to Aquaman for. I, I, I like the smiling super friends <laughs> more than the I'm a tough, gruff, badass Aquaman. I'm basically Wolverine, you know, in orange. But uh, that's me. I, I love that because I remember two things. One, with Adult Swim, what they did with Aquaman and like the gay the bar. Is it the robot chicken episode? No, but even before that, this was way back when Adult Swim first started. They had these little segments or little like bumps between episodes. And they had Aquaman from Super Friends era in like a, either gay bar or he was like basically implying this dude is gay. Yeah. And it, those, I loved those because to me, I was the same way. I wasn't as big in marine biology, but I used to have a, uh, we had a pool in our backyard. And like every time I would go swimming, I'd be underwater. I'd be like, Oh my God, I'm like Aquaman. You know, I could talk to fish and I could swim back and forth. And oh, it, and you rode a gallant seahorse. Exactly. Well, <laughs> you know, I like to pretend. So no, I mean, Aquaman is so the underdog of the DC universe. I mean, but yet he is. Is a, kind of a badass. I mean, he's a king. He he's the one percent of the ocean. <laughs> That's right. Right. Yeah. So I just love you know how he looks. I just love the, everything about this character. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's uh, you know it's going to be a long time before I write a book about Aquaman. <laughs> if uh, sales of this book are one thing, the sales for an Aquaman book are going to be oh <laughs> something entirely different. Um, what, what about Marvel? Um, are there any Marvel characters that you identify with, uh, you know, or, or was Marvel something you kind of like just, you know, you, you, you weren't as into really? No, no, no. I mean, when I was a very young kid, it was all DC, but then as I got older, I was like, well, these guys don't really have the, the layers that I was looking for. So I got into characters like, I mean, I remember reading and rereading 
these old uh, origin stories that they used to compile. And I, I got really into Doctor Strange. I got really into Cloak and Dagger. I got really into the X-Men. Uh, you know, as far as enduring, I mean, I guess... I just I just love the look of those old Doctor Stranges, just the the Steve Ditko art and oh yeah, and uh, ch- just the trippy, mm-hmm. uh, deep abiding weirdness of it, the kind of shameless weirdness I really dug, and you know the the language of it uh, was so uh, heightened. Yeah, that, that's that's it. I mean, I, I I read plenty of Spider-Man when I could, Daredevil of course, um, and you know the Avengers when I could. I mean, I I didn't really dig. Uh, the Submariner, in in a way, because he, he was kind of, you know, I mean, even though I liked his costume a great deal, uh, <laughs> I, I just didn't get with that whole uh, Imperious Rex stuff. Uh, I'm now loving uh, Young Avengers, of course. I'm oh. loving Fantastic Four. That I'm is lo- my favorite book. I I live, breathe, and die for Young Avengers when it comes out. <laughs> I always have. It's so good. It is just so good. It's so, you know, I mean, I, I would love it if the gay characters would stop crying every so often. <laughs> yeah. That would be a nice thing. They would just get on with their lives a little bit. But, of course, you know, and I'm not alone here when I talk about Hawkeye, but I've mentioned it on the show many times. Yes. About it. It's just such a smart, straightforward, perfect little book that you can hand to somebody who doesn't care yep. about superheroes and say, here's just good writing, amazing art, great storytelling, uh, doing things that only the comics medium can do. That's that's something I really look for. And I, you don't see it a lot, necessarily, in a lot of uh, uh, mainstream superhero comics, but when you do, it's just a revelation. It's it's amazing that Fraction has found these places to, to really show his voice, like... You know, Hawkeye, FF, Fantastic yep. Four to some extent, although that one's a little more sort of, you know, bigger, bigger voice. Swiss Family Robinson out in space. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, like FF is very different and very unique, especially because of Mike Allred. But the Hawkeye stuff's fantastic. Satellite Sam, excellent. Sure. I mean, he just has blossomed. And, and what's amazing is I've loved his stuff all along. And I think the only exception to that was the uh, big event he did. Um, Fear itself. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, even back to like Iron Fist with uh, Brubaker, I'm just fantastic. And I'm like, this is a guy. This is, this, this is what I love. But what, uh, what other books are you reading? Yeah, I, you mentioned- gay, are there any, are there any indie or like uh, even like gay or just, just books that like the big studios, you know, whatever, they're all over the news. But like, what do you really, do you think is important and would recommend to someone? Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't. I, for a long time there, I wasn't reading much of anything that I was writing. Uh, but then, well, now, now I'm in research mode, so I'm starting to cut back a little bit right now too. But I'm not going to say anything that you know millions of people like me haven't said already, which is Saga, uh, which is such a good book. It's such a smart book. It's it's really uh, gorgeous. I really like Profit, even though that's a much oh. much book. We are like, big fans of Profit. Oh yes. so we are right there. Brandon with you. Graham is amazing. Oh, it's fantastic. I also love, uh, uh, King City. Uh, I'm really getting yes. into that. Yes. And, uh, let's see. I mean, uh, you know, the, uh, we're, we're, this is kind of backing into mainstream, but I really like what is being done with, uh, Wonder Woman right now. I mean, I yes. never thought that I would be looking forward to and kind of hungrily devouring a Wonder Woman book, <laughs> but, uh, it's such a smart take. It's such a, it's such a really good and gorgeous. Cliff Chang's art is amazing. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, such a really good take on the character. And I think it's really, it, it's taking the character that, you know, a lot of people have had have been trying to figure out what to do with and given her a purpose and a, and a specific niche. You know, it's funny because I, I've sold hundreds of volumes of Saga, like it, like it's the end times and everyone's reaching for a Bible. But when it comes to Wonder Woman, that has actually been one of the hardest sells. But as soon as people start reading it and realize that Diana's no longer a dreidel, like they, they love that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you start to worry about continuity, like the, <laughs> the Diana that's in Justice League is so generic and so, you know, it's, it's, it just doesn't have any kind of life. Agreed. As opposed to this incredible character that he's building over in Wonder Woman. So yeah, yeah. Like Iron Man, um, uh, what, there was, and, and there's, I've just finished a book, uh, a graphic novel actually called, uh, Nothing Can Possibly Go, Go Wrong, uh, which is just a lot of fun. It's a, it's a, it's a fluffy, uh, book about, um, about high school, but it's, uh, just really, really fun. I'm reading a couple different versions of a book called Lost Cat. There's two different versions of a book called Lost Cat. One by Jason and one by a person whose name, uh, eludes me right now. But right now what I'm doing is I'm starting to dig into just a hell of a lot of books 
by, for, and about Batman because that's the next project. Well, I uh, appreciate the uh, you know the the recommendations because again, I think it's so nice to see what other interested interesting people are interested in and the uh, the indie books especially because that's the you know, profit we're trumpeting all the time. Saga yeah. is brilliant. Have you checked out Private Eye uh, by Vaughn and uh, Marcos Martin? Um, I have. I think I have the first issue on my tablet, but I haven't I haven't read it yet. If you're liking Saga, you know it, it has a not not similar story element, but the the Vaughn touch is definitely with this one. And what's interesting is the format's very different from a traditional book, since it is just digital, um, and it's really ex- exploring that a bit. Um, right. Glad I have one last question for you, um, because I don't want to monopolize all of your time. Uh, thank you so much for this interview. It has been a blast and a pleasure. Um, oh, now, we, you and I have similar like viewpoints on this new Wonder Woman that we see in Justice League, and the, the Wonder Woman that for me, is the new 52 Brian Azzarello one. Um, yeah. How do you feel about this new Superman, Wonder Woman, yeah. um, young romance date book that I assume is coming out sometime next series of the new 52? Yeah, I guess. I, I haven't read too much about it. Uh, yeah, I... The only exposure I've had to it is, you know, the the stuff I see in Justice League, which is just not grabbing me. I mean, you know, sure. I mean, let's 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 mix it up the uh, the classic triangle. Let's let's uh, let's give Lois. Let's have Lois be a character by herself as opposed to somebody who's defined by her relationship with Superman. I like that idea. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, it's it, it, the problem is the characterization of of Wonder Woman and Superman. Who just come off in that book as ciphers to me? Uh, mm. So I'm not really, not really uh, vibing on it. But uh, you know, I'll check it out. But that's all I know. How about what do you feel like? I, it, you know, it saddens me because I think that you know Jeff Johns, good and bad, can really tell a story. But yep. for some reason, it's just like I like Superman and Justice League. I do not like Wonder Woman and Justice League because they take, they kind of boil her down to not anything against Linda Carter. I love Linda Carter, but this kind of like Linda. Carter, I can kill, and I'm here for sound bites. And oh look, it's ice cream. And she yeah. has none of the the depth. And she seems she seems really shallow and superficial. She's a flat character. Right. Um, I, I agree. I'm just curious to see with this book if, and I'm sure it's not going to be like the romance books of the you know 60s or whatever. You wait. But, uh, but you know, it, it would be interesting to see if this is a book they're trying to push more for the female audience, or if it is just a classic sort of team up style book where they're you know kicking ass and. And doing whatever, but uh, Glenn, yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Um, the one book, more book. Hold oh, on, please, please. Dial H for Hero. Oh, uh, and it's ending. I know, I know, but I just love what they're doing with it. I love taking that classic concept and and making it deeply, deeply weird. I, I'm really having a lot of fun with that book. Yeah, I, it's. And seeing Chia, Chia, is that you say his name? Chia Melville? I think so. I can never say his name right. I mean, seeing this amazing fantasy novelist get to play in the DC universe in this way, uh, yeah, no, probably the most underrated. I mean, DC has a stigma right now for producing a lot of kind of crap in general, but like you said, that book and a few others, uh, like, you know, I guess even like, uh, oh gosh, our favorite, uh, well, Animal Man. Animal Man. Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing. Justice League Dark. Yeah, it just like it, you know, anything that uh, Lemire is touching, or you know, some of these other young artist, young writers and artists that are really wanting to establish their name. Like I, I applaud that. I want more of that. <laughs> DC, listen, do more of this. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you so much. It really means a lot. The book is Superman: The Authorized. I'm sorry, the unauthorized biography. Of course, yeah. we you know wouldn't want uh, Superman to come after you for uh, you know trying to be authorized. Was that a? I, I think you said this in one of the things, but was that actually uh, an editorial decision just to kind of make it a little more spicy sort of ostensibly or some of the reviews are like well there's no real dirt here there's nothing behind the scenes that's like a tell-all book but the idea was i am a, a critic and so i wanted to be able to kind of say this story works this story doesn't without having to kind of run it through gotcha. the dc offices and the winer's offices just just to get it out there and, and have it be its own thing cool well glenn would you like to tell our listeners where they can find you uh sure if you get the book, please do, please do, please do. Uh, there, uh, my, my, I'm using my Tumblr as sort of a visual companion because there are no photos in the book, uh, no images in the book because uh, I would have had to pay for them out of my teeny weeny little advance, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I would have had to, I would have gone to hock for this book. So, I'm using uh, the Tumblr, GlennWeldon.tumblr.com, as a sort of visual companion, taking a lot of things that the 
that just didn't fit in the book or that I can only refer to vaguely in the book and kind of saying, here's, here's what's some stuff that's going on here. I'm getting into some of those uh, crazy 60s and 70s stories, which make me very happy. I'm also on Twitter at G.H. Weldon, at G.H. Weldon, and that's um, a place where I just do a lot of dumb puns and, and jokes and link to a lot of my stuff. And uh, I write for uh, NPR.org quite a lot. Uh, book reviews, just either uh, graphic novels, comics, or regular books. I also uh, I write specifically for their uh, Monkey See pop culture blog. I'm also uh, on a Pop Culture Happy Hour, which, uh, Oral, you mentioned, it's a... Brilliant, yeah. brilliant uh, show. I mean, we have a lot of fun doing it. It's something that we do sort of in the after hours at, at NPR. I kind of go in there <laughs> and uh, just sort of kind of do it on the fly. But he's doing it in his spare time. So it's sort of, it's not going to sound polished, but it's, and, and the episode we have coming up this week is really, really kind of loose, I'll say, because it's it was our third anniversary. We've been doing it for three years, and so we didn't really have, you know, a topic. So <laughs> I have a feeling you guys know what I'm talking about, where you kind of just fly by the seat of your Never. Yeah. <laughs> um, please yeah. give my, my regards to everyone at NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. I, I I can't say enough of it, so I'm just not going to say anything at all. All right, Grandma, well, I really appreciate that, Earl. That's very nice of you. Yes, I will certainly pass that along. Definitely, and uh, we look forward to seeing what's next. I'm very excited about the Batman book uh, when that comes out. We'll definitely have to have you back on. I would love that. Great. Thank Thanks. you so much, Glenn. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Flame On, a podcast made possible by Powder Milk Biscuits, the ones in the blue box, a comic shop, and the generous support of tops and bottoms like you. If you want to be one of our sugar daddies, you can help out by telling a cute single friend about us, reviewing us on iTunes, or putting some dollars down our digital G-string in our monthly support drive. For more ridiculously entertaining and socially enlightening episodes of Flame On, as well as other fine programs, head on over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to Flame On and all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via iTunes. And be sure to find us on Twitter at Flame On Podcast or Facebook on our Flame On fan page. And make sure to check out flameonshow.com for more nerdy queer in your ear. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 